Well, uh, a lot of questions that we have about heaven, and uh, that's part of the reason that uh, provoked me into uh, beginning this sermon series on heaven, because um, we can hear a lot of different things that uh, people have as an image of heaven. And I kind of uh, came up with this concept about uh, a description for what I think maybe is the way that so many of us uh, view heaven. A lot of things know that we don't know about heaven. A lot of those questions are valid. Will we eat wings? I don't know. Um, it talks about the tree of life, and so maybe we go back to paradise like it was for, for Adam and Eve. But I think that for a lot of us we have bits and pieces of uh, the picture of heaven that we have in our mind. And it's kind of like looking through a kaleidoscope. I haven't done it for a long time. But you know what that is? You're a toy and you look through it and you turn it. And it's got all those like uh, stained glass fragments of, of, of different colors in there. And, and you kind of get, it's a, it's a beautiful mosaic of a picture. But it's a whole lot of bits and pieces put together. And, and I think instead of having that kind of kaleidoscope vision, we need to have a, a clear vision that gives us a, a concise uh, biblical definition and image of what heaven is and what it's like. And, and I give you that because God is not the author of confusion but of order. And so we look at, we look at the Scriptures and that's what we're going to do. And try not to base it upon what you've heard from grandparents, what you've heard from other people, what you've heard from funerals, because quite honestly, I've sat through some funerals and I've heard preachers talk about, I know that so-and-so is doing so-and-so in heaven. I'm sitting there thinking, that ain't in the Bible. Where do you get that? And, and part of the issue is, is that there is a sequential movement about understanding heaven in the Scriptures. And like that kaleidoscope vision that we have of it, we're kind of mingle everything together and, and kind of one image and it's all, it's pretty and, and it's, you know, giving us some glimpses of heaven. But at the same time it's distorting it a little bit because we don't have a clear vision uh, about heaven. And heaven is always the opportunity to tell some stories. Um, I, I, like, I like the one that I read recently that said this guy dies and he goes up to, uh, to heaven and he approaches uh, St. Peter at the pearly gates. And St. Peter said, what have you done that I should allow you into heaven? And the guy said, well, I've always been a good person, and I've always looked out for the underdog, and I've always tried to help people out. And so St. Peter said, can you give me a, an illustration of that, something that's happened recently in your life? And he said, well, yeah. He said, uh, not too long ago I was at this roadside diner, and uh, this group of Hell's Angels drove up. And they came in off their motorcycles, and they were grungy and uh, greasy, and they started uh, making fun and picking on this little elderly couple there. So a frail little man, frail little woman, and and he said, I just couldn't stand any longer. So he said, I went up behind the leader and I grabbed him by the collar of his jacket. And I turned him around and I said, why don't you pick on people your own size? And while you're at it, why don't you get all your greasy buddies out of here and get on those motorcycles and leave town? And St. Pete said, wow, that was a magnanimous gesture that you did, how heroic that was. He said, how long ago did that happen? And the guy says, about five minutes ago. <laughs> well, one of the questions that, that I think you have is, will we meet St. Peter at the pearly gates? Nowhere in the Scriptures do I find that St. Peter is the one that's going to meet us at the pearly gates. Now, that's why the sermon series is entitled The Original Gated Community because there are gates in heaven, 12 of them as a matter of fact. Revelation 21:21 tells us that. You know, three face in each direction. And they are comprised of one single pearl. So there are those pearly gates. And we live in heaven, we'll be living in a gated community. And it's the original gated community. 
Now, if you live in a gated community, you don't live in a gated community here. You know, some people take great pride in that. It could be a social status. Or it could be a stigma if you live in a gated community. Depends upon, I guess, which side of the gate that you live, you know. But in heaven, it will be a gated community. And we'd have other descriptions about, about heaven that describe that for us. When you look through there in that same passage there in Revelation 21, and you see just some beautiful images about what heaven is going to be like. Well, for the next six weeks, we're just going to go through and what the Bible has to say. Some of you might get some answers that don't jive with um, what you've heard all your life. You know, you might have some things distorted by the Scripture, which is good, because we're going to go by the Scripture, what it says, and not what you've heard. And some of you are going to have some questions that still aren't going to be answered, because quite frankly, uh, every question that we would have, every question that was on that screen is not going to be answered in the Scriptures. Now, some of you just have to trust God, but believe me, when we go through here and study about heaven, you, you're going to want to go there. I'm excited about it. I, I am excited about what God has prepared for us. And we need to be excited about that. We need to be looking forward to that. And at the same time, then, we need to be living in light of eternity in heaven. So, uh, we're going to look at some of these questions, many of them up there on that screen. But, you know, where is heaven? When we talk about where is heaven, what do we normally say? Up. Which direction do we point for heaven? We're just talking about up. Okay, why? Because the scripture says Jesus came down to earth from heaven. And then when he ascended, what did he do? He went up. Some of you seem not to be quite sure about that. Where do we say hell is usually? Down. Okay. So where is heaven? You know, we read about the astronauts who say we're at 45,000 feet. Said, I didn't see heaven up there. A couple of weekends ago when we were flying back from New Orleans, I, you know, I kind of looked around. I don't remember how high we were up there. And I thought, now, you know, you're not going to see that. It's a real place, but it's not, it's not on our map. You can't see it up there. You know, but it's on God's map. So where is heaven? What is heaven like? What will we do in heaven? You know, are the streets really paved with gold? What will we eat? People are concerned about that. The clothes we'll wear. Who will be in heaven? Now that's going to be an interesting one. And you can answer that by saying you're going to be surprised at those who are there and surprised by those who aren't there and all of that. So, we kind of get an image of it in distorted ways. And I hope that we clear up some of this as we move through this. You know, children have a lot of good insight about heaven. But oftentimes their answers are, are kind of like ours. We, you know, we're focused on earthly things rather than heavenly things. I like the story about the little boy named Kevin who was spending the weekend with his grandparents. And on Saturday morning, Kevin uh, and his grandfather got in their truck and they rode off somewhere to get breakfast. And... Uh, Taking every opportunity to teach his grandchildren, which I think is a good thing to do, you know, that teachable moment, just the two of them. Grandpa looked at Kevin and said, Kevin, which way is heaven? And he pointed up. Grandpa said, which way is hell? Kevin pointed down. And then Grandpa looked at him straight in the eyes and he said, Kevin, where are you going? And Kevin said, Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> so they were headed for breakfast. Well, the book of Revelation uh, is an intriguing book, and it probably gives us more insight, more uh, biblical images about the beauty and the majesty and the action that, that takes place in heaven than any other book. And so I want you to look with me at a passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 7. That's just one of the places that we get a glimpse. This is not the total picture, but it's kind of an introduction, just what, what I call here a hint of heaven or a glimpse of heaven. And it's like John, the revelator who wrote this and had that vision, just kind of opens the curtains on heaven just a little ways so that we can see a little bit of what heaven is going to be like. 
And from that we can make then some general observations, I think, about what heaven will be like as we think about that heavenly home uh, in the future. So, if you look with me in Revelation uh, chapter 7, we'll begin reading in verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who came come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now that's just to me a, a, a glorious glimpse into the beauty and majesty uh, of heaven. Now what does it tell us about uh, this little hint about heaven? Three things I think that we need to see in importance. First of all, we will be part of a great multitude of diverse people. And John saw that very clearly in verses 9 through 12. First of all, you notice there the number of the redeemed who are in heaven. And this gave me great encouragement when I went back and I looked at this, because it was an uncountable number. And that says to me that, that probably there's, the, the, there is greater work and response to evangelism and mission efforts than what we could imagine. And, and that makes me feel good about that. That there are people who are being reached for, for the kingdom of God, and many, many people maybe more than we ever expect, will be a part of that celebration in heaven. A multitude you can't number. Then secondly, note the variety of them. They were from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group. And they were all gathered there, all the nations, all the people there. And, 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 and that's amazing in itself. And, and these saints are coming from every corner of the earth and every different group. Then notice the posture of the redeemed. What are they doing? They are before the throne of God and they are standing like an army before its commander in chief. And then fourthly notice the appearance of the redeemed. They wear white robes, a symbol of purity, and they hold palm branches, a symbol of victory. And then fifth notice the fact that the song of the redeemed is sung. And they sing about salvation that comes from God and from the Lamb. What a wonderful picture that is. And I also find it interesting, I mentioned that to Rick, that I don't find any solos in heaven. It's all a united choir. And it's all the voices blended together singing in wonderful praise and adoration of God. Now take another look back at, at John's vision of that multitude of people. And we ought to be encouraged, as I said, about evangelism and missions. We also can be encouraged about the response that, that people are making to the efforts that we are a part of in, in mission work around the world. And then when you look at that picture again, it's people from every nation, every tribe, every language on earth. 
And it tells to us that every barrier that we have, cultural and racial and, and economic and social here, every barrier and every prejudice that we have here in this world is going to be done away with. You know, even as tolerant and diverse as we are in the nation today, everybody's got to admit that, that there's a little bit of, of prejudice in our life. It might be against a people group, or it might just simply be that we're prejudiced against people who don't look like us, don't act like us, don't dress like us, don't think exactly like we do, maybe don't even pull for the same team that we do. And, and so all of that is going to be done away with when we get to heaven. It's going to be a glorious place, no more human strife, no more bickering. Maybe all the complainers and whiners in churches won't make it to heaven. Maybe that's why. You ever thought about that? But here's another interesting thing. Evidently, we keep our dignity. We're going to be different. We're going to have, have, we'll have a different body. But evidently, we keep our identity for John to be able to identify people from every nation, every tribe, every race, every language of people. And answer some of the questions that people have. Will I know, be known in heaven? Will I know other people? Will I recognize family members? And I think the answer to that is yes. We'll be different, but yet somehow we'll have perfect knowledge and we will know. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, Now we see but a poor reflection in a mirror. A lot of us could say that when we look ourselves in the mirror, couldn't we? But he says, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am known fully. So yeah, I think that will be what I call permanence of personality. We'll be different, but yet we will maintain our identity and we will be known. And I think that lends itself to, to being reunited and celebrating with family and friends who are there. A vast multitude. We'll be a part of that. Can you imagine that? I mean, such a diverse body of people that you can't even count, and we're going to be praising and worshiping God. Hallelujah. Now, the second thing I think we have to notice is that we will celebrate our salvation through the blood of the Lamb. When we look at verses 13 through 14, there's that image there, and the question asked about who are these people in these white robes? And the answer is, they're the ones who came out of the Great Tribulation. Well, what is the Great Tribulation? That is the seven-year period of hell on earth, and that's really what it's going to be. God just, God takes the church out is what I believe. He raptures the church. We don't go through that. And then the, the, the earth is left into a terrible time of tri tribul tribulation that's going to run through the world. There are going to be killings. There's going to be uprising. There's going to be all these antichrists and antichrists ruling and all the demons and all. It's going to be an awful time. There will be people who will come to faith in Christ and they who will be martyred during that time. And, and that's what's going to happen on earth during that time. And that's what's meant by John saying, uh, here recorded in Revelation, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now what that reminds us of in that is, is we're going to celebrate our salvation through the blood of the Lamb, that heaven is a real place and it is a prepared place for people who are prepared. I had somebody asked me after the first worship hour, what does it mean to be prepared? I said, well, it means that you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's how you get prepared. He said, well, what about this in, in, in John 14 when, when Jesus is talking about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It seems like it ought to be built by now. It ought to be ready by now. And my answer is, well, that's evidently not because it's not in God's time frame. I don't know what that means. You see, there are still some people groups, several thousand of them, who've never heard the gospel. The Bible hasn't been translated into their language yet. So I think that's yet to take place. So there are several things like that you have to look at. But it's all God's time. Jesus said, 
that who knows about that time when he comes back? Not himself, not the angels, but who? Only God. One of you got it right at least. Only God knows that time. We don't know that. We don't know what it means when that time will be ready. But maybe it's going to be a great revival that will lead into that time when more and more people will be redeemed and be less lost people on the face of the earth to go through that time of tribulation, less people deceived. I don't know, but God does. That's His timing. And Jesus has gone. He promised that in John 14. To go ahead of us and prepare a place for us. And when it is prepared, He will come and get us and take us there. And we will be with Him forever. So we prepare for that celebration by believing that what Jesus did on the cross that we've already talked about in the weeks leading up to Easter, dying for our sins, dying in place of our sins, that we claim that is the adequate sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice that takes away our sins. You know, some of the hymns we used to sing about, are you washed in the blood? And talking about the fountain of blood. And sometimes when you get people who come into church who have had absolutely no church background, they wonder, what is up there in that baptistry? Is it filled with blood? No. No, it's water. And sometimes that's deceiving. What does it mean to be washed in the blood? It means that you have accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, and you have been cleansed by that, and you know that in your life, and you've committed your life to Christ, asking to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And you're doing that because you accept His blood as the only adequate sacrifice, righteous enough in the sight of God to meet the demands of a righteous and holy God. That's what it means to be washed in the blood. And we choose where we will spend eternity. There is an option to heaven. And I want to tell you that it's not made for you. And God doesn't want you to go there. But that's hell. And Jesus talked about it in terms of Gehenna, which was like the garbage dump outside the city, which smoldered as they burned trash and all. It's a picture of hell burning forever and ever. Everlasting torment and punishment and separation from God. And God says specifically it's created for the devil and his angels, not for you. But you have to make a decision about heaven. Before you can get to heaven and celebrate your salvation through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, you've got to make that decision, that is to embrace Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus said in John 17, 3. He says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, that's eternal life. How do you have eternal life? Only one way, through Jesus Christ. And there's the essence of eternal life. That you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that's the picture of what we do in heaven in terms of our relationship to Him. We celebrate our salvation through the blood of the Lamb, and we're around that throne, and we praise Him, and we worship Him. Now, oh boy, can you imagine what that worship will be like in heaven? Wow, fantastic. Now, here's the third thing I think we need to understand, and that is we will experience a level of life unequal to anything we have ever known. You know, for some people here, life has been a pretty good existence. For other people, it's been one tale of woe after the other. It doesn't matter how bad it's been for you. It doesn't matter how great it's been for you. It's going to be magnanimous when you get to heaven. There's going to be a dimension of life there that's eternal life that you have never, ever experienced anywhere before. Through all of my reading and preparation that I've done just for this for today and starting looking ahead for the next five sermons, you know, I just got to the point where, you know what? I could just simply stand up here and say, with all the questions we have about heaven, what God has revealed to us in the Scripture, He wanted us to know. 
What He has not revealed there about some of the questions we have, if we need to know that, God will supply that information and He will impart it to us. If not, we'll know it when we get up there. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have a list of things you say you'd want to ask God when you get to heaven? How many of you? I'm going to see your hand. Anybody? You got a list of things? You got a list of things you're going to ask God? Throw it away. I used to have a list that said, I'm going to ask God these things. And then it hit me when I was reading scripture one day that Jesus said, In that day you will ask me no questions. I threw my list away. You know why? Because heaven is the perfect place, and when we get there, everything is going to be perfect, and everything is going to make sense. And we'll understand everything that God has done and why He did it. I don't know how, but that's just the way it's going to be. So don't, don't have those lists. Don't think, see, that's a little bit of your attitude. I have a list of things I'm going to demand from God when I get up there. Guess what? You might not get up there. <laughs> and you want to question the authority of the sovereign God? You better take your list and throw it away. Walk by faith, not by sight. There are certain things you just have to trust God with. But let me tell you, the Bible tells us enough to know that we're going to have a quality of life there like we've never experienced it, ever experienced it. And we could just simply be like what Paul says. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. That means everything that we see in the Scriptures about heaven, that's just only a glimpse. And what we're looking at today is only a glimpse. God's got so much more in store for us. You've just got to live for Him so you can go there and experience it. And you look at our world, everything is so self-centered. In our culture, our society, we're, we're perfect products of it. In heaven, everything is centered around God. So, what has God really revealed to us? And I, I'm not just from this one passage, but from several others that we'll pull. First of all, He tells us what will not be there. In Revelation 21 4, He says, There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And He tells us a lot of other things won't be there. He tells us the type of people who won't be there. Those who are involved in sexual immorality, those who are liars, those who are deceivers, and those who, and all of those that he describes are people of unconfessed sin and changing their nature by the power of God. Because every one of us has probably created all those kinds of things. But by being washed in the blood, we don't fit in those categories anymore. And then, secondly, in a broad scope, he's told us what will be there. Number one, love will be there. Love never fails, and heaven will be a perfect community of perfect love, and people will be there who amazingly are going to get along with each other. And nobody's going to complain about the song that we sing around the throne. Everybody's going to be agree and get along, and it's going to be a wonderful place where there is love, in that most loving, wonderful community. Then heaven will be a place of dynamic activity. One little boy's picture of heaven was about sitting up on a cloud and playing a harp. He said, I, know, I don't know how to play a harp, so I guess I better start learning how to play that dumb thing. Well, I don't think we're going to play harps. We might. I don't know what musical instruments fit. But we don't in that image of being an angel and floating on a cloud. You know, you don't become an angel when you die. The angels are created beings. There ain't no more of them except what's, alive, what's existing now. A third of them fell with Satan when he fell. Okay. So we don't become angels. I hope that answers one question. But there will be dynamic activity as we serve Him and we sit around Him. 
And maybe that answers some of the questions about what are we going to do? What are we going to be there? Well, we're going to be servants of God. Revelation 22.3 says, and His servants will serve Him. And see, the Bible says also that we will see God. See, His servants will see Him, and we shall see Him face to face. That's what John says in 1 John 3.2. I see, far from being boring, heaven is going to be a place of wonderful activity. Wonderful activity. And we will worship God. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth singing praise and honor and glory to Him who sits on the throne. That's Revelation 5, 13. Every creative power that you have, whether it be great or whether it be small, is going to be used to glorify God in worship. Now, what is that kind of service that we're going to do for God for all eternity? Well, we don't really know. But you remember a story that Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19? Well, a rich landowner was going away and he gave three servants different amounts of money and he told them to invest this while I'm going. And when I get back, I want to see what you've done with it. And the first one had done a great job with that. And the master said, Well, well done, good and faithful servant. You will rule over ten cities. He said to the second one who had done okay, he said, Well done, you're going to rule over five cities. The third one hadn't done anything with it. He said, We'll take what I gave you and you got nothing. Throw him out. Now see, that's talking about the fact that what we do with our life, our witness, our testimony for the glory of God is going to be judged and we're going to get our rewards based on that. And then there will be some kind of status. I, I don't understand it. But you know what? It's not going to make any difference. If you're way up here and I'm way down here, it won't matter because in heaven everybody's going to get along. It's going to be a perfect fellowship and we're going to understand that. But somehow in that process, we're going to serve with God. We're going to help Him run the universe. Isn't that exciting? See, we're not going to reign over ten cities in this world. Even a mayor doesn't reign over his or her town. They don't rule over that. But he says, we're going to rule over cities. Now, what exactly does that mean? We just have to wait and find out, won't we? Okay? So, let me kind of summarize what we'll do in it. Five things that will occupy our time in heaven. First of all, we'll worship without distraction. I look forward to that. I don't know whether you do or not, but I look forward to that. In here, you know, there are distractions. I'll be honest about that, you know. Uh, some of you got bladders smaller than mine, evidently. You know, and, and there's constant interruption and constant, you know, distractions in worship. I wish we could just sit down and worship. We're going to be here an hour. Go to potty before you come in and you control it, okay? Or go smoke or go get a drink of water. Whatever it is you do, you people get up and leave. I don't know what you do. But there will be worship without distraction. And it also happens in my private time. It's not just here. But it happens in my private time. I let my mind wander and I get distracted. Okay? But there will be worship without distraction. Secondly, we will serve without exhaustion. We'll know what Isaiah talked about. Mount up on wings like eagles. We'll run and walk and not get tired and not faint. And thirdly, there will be fellowship without fear. We'll be open and honest. We won't have to worry about anything. Becoming too real with people. We will learn without fatigue. And then we will rest without boredom. All of that is a, is a beautiful life cycle that I see that takes us all the way through eternity. And the best thing about heaven, the best thing about heaven is that we're going to see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who gave His life for us. And that ought to excite you enough. Can you imagine that? 
being face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died for you and me. Let me wrap it up with a story. Heaven is a prepared place for people who are prepared. I hope you're prepared. Some years back during the Reagan administration, a group of pastors were meeting with uh, President Reagan. And one of them happened to be Dr. James Kennedy, who started evangelism explosion down at Carl Ridge uh, Presbyterian Church in Florida. And there came a lull in the conversation, so he turned to President Reagan. And he said, Mr. Reagan, Mr. President, if you were to die today and stand before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? For a few minutes, President Reagan sat there moments and, and thought. And then he said, well, you know, I guess I would have to answer with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, that's our only hope for heaven. That's the only way we're prepared for eternity in heaven, isn't it? Is it through the blood of Jesus Christ? the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And when you accept Him and you believe in Him, then you're ready for eternity. Whatever God has in heaven beyond what we see, God has that for you if you believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today for opening the Scriptures to us and showing us what we have to look forward to in the glories of heaven. We thank You just for this little glimpse of heaven that You've given to us today. And I pray for myself, Father, especially that you will give me keen insight, insight into, into what you want me to share about the truths of heaven in the next five messages. And we'll answer questions. Or if we don't have all our questions answered, we'll at least live with faith that God will reveal to us uh, what we need to know. Father, thank you most of all for sending Jesus Christ to be our Savior, and that He is now going to prepare that wonderful place for us. Give us the patience and the faith to trust and wait even if death comes before the Lord returns. To trust in the place that you have provided for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray Father that all of us will look forward to being in heaven with you. And that we will be prepared for that through faith in Christ. And it's his name that I pray. Amen.